0: Please pronounce your name correctly for me.
1: <laughs> so my full name is Te Nga Wakatsuna. Everyone just calls me Ho. Okay, Ho. Yeah. yeah. Which is wind in Maori.
0: I was going to say that is slightly derogatory in certain other <laughs> cultures. <laughs> or can be okay so you're a let's see i've seen illustrator i've seen you do murals i've seen you do tattoo artist i've seen you then you also have a podcast and you're now it looks like you're starting youtube as well yeah. so you you have quite a, a robust amount of different things but the first thing we should need to be sure to tell everybody that's listening is that you're also in new zealand yeah which you were my first New Zealand guest.
1: Oh, awesome. It's my privilege.
0: Well, actually, you're my first guest in the complete Southern Hemisphere, I believe.
1: Wow. That's crazy.
0: The first thing I always ask about, and I know you've gone through it on your podcast, but for mm. my guests as well, is sort of how did you come to being creative? So what was your journey? So what, like, were your parents creative? Was it a teacher? Like, How did you find that pet path for yourself?
1: For me, a you know a big part of it was definitely genetic because my dad's an artist and he's been doing art his whole life and then um yeah so grew up my earliest memory is drawing and been drawing my whole life my siblings and I and around the house there's just my dad's drawings everywhere and he we're in the shed he would be carving so he does carving as well mouldy carving and for those of you listening who don't know what Māori is or who Māori people are, <laughs> whether we're we're, we're the Indigenous people of New Zealand or Aotearoa is the Māori name for New Zealand. Yeah, and then my dad at primary school, he was my art teacher as well. I think probably the biggest influence he had on me would have been exposing me to different types of art at a real young age, you know, at the time when kids were drawing, Little houses with a sun in the corner of the page, you know, that sort of stuff. I was, you know, I was drawing like muscle men and drawing dudes with like flames coming off their head and holding swords, you know, stuff straight out of the comic books. And because I was exposed to that stuff, it made me curious, I suppose, which is probably what the reason why I I'm doing all these different things now. He always encouraged me to really just explore what else there is out there. And I think that's probably the greatest gift I've gotten from my dad. Yeah, I just love it. I just love being creative. I love that when you do create, you bring something to existence that, you know, that wasn't a thing. (laughs) You know, like when I think about that, that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, from my family, um, that's the reason I'm creative and
0: just never stopped. Well, that all fits with the name of your podcast being Creative Curiosity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, our podcasts, honestly, are pretty similar in many ways. I mean, basically, I come to this from academia. So I was a professor, still am a professor, and a practicing artist. And basically, I realized that I have no idea how the industry works anymore Mm. because I I was off in my ivory tower teaching and not actually (laughs) like being a practicing artist and working mm. in the industry and i feel like a lot of people feel like there's the a, a bit a lack of transparency a lack of sharing of knowledge and information this kinds of stuff and so that's sort of the intention of this podcast is to sort of bring some things out from behind the curtain so that there's yeah. more knowledge being shared
1: yeah that's it hey eh? i i definitely am a huge believer in that i I think it was a couple of years ago. I sort of came to the conclusion, and it was in, in terms of Maori art. You know, certain types of knowledge they they believe you shouldn't share it. And to some extent, you know, I you know I understand certain parts, but for me, it's you know, knowledge is to be shared. It's not to be kept. You know, because the thing is, you know, knowledge we didn't create it ourselves. You know, we were, it was passed down from other people or passed across from other people. You know, and I believe it's you know it should be benefited from everybody, you know? Everybody should have access to it, I believe, you know.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm the believer of like, even if you and I literally like sat in a room and we gained the exact same knowledge, when we walk out of there and then decide to make something with it, just because your experiences and differing from my experiences, we will never make the same thing. Exactly. it's like knowledge is just a a, a common trait, but that's not going to actually, you know, make it so that we're copying each other just because yeah. we have the same knowledge. Yeah,
1: it's impossible, you know. And that's that's what I believe in too. Like even if you know a hundred people exactly like what you're saying, hundred people have the same criteria for a for a project, there's gonna
0: be a hundred different different results. Indeed. Yeah. So okay. So first of all, my title of the podcast is called The Wise Fool. So I'm going to make a fool out of myself numerous times. <laughs> so please feel free to tell me I'm wrong about anything I say from your perspective. Okay, No worse. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit about... Okay, so I've looked at a little bit of your work. So you seem to have a... a an indigenous style of mm. tattoo and illustration and what I w- might even call like a bit of a, a commercial consumer, a comic mm. book sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you seem to do both simultaneously. How did yeah. that come about?
1: Do you know what a marae is? Have you heard of a marae before?
0: Let's assume I know none okay. of the things that are <laughs> okay. unique to you or your part <laughs> of the world.
1: Yeah, so for everybody listening, a marae or a whare nui or whare puni is a traditional meeting house a traditional maori meeting house there's what one of my marae i have a few different marae and one of them in particular was across the river from my grandmother's house and we my my siblings and I we were there all the time as kids so we we grew up on our marae and a lot of a lot of our family grew up on our marae as well and what that means for us is because we grew up on our marae we we sort of grew up with our traditions and learning knowledge from our ancestors and things like that. One of our many art forms that we have in Mauridom is tamaku or the art of Mori tattooing, if you want to call it that. Yeah, so that's sort of how I've gone into that more traditional Mori sort of art form was just being raised around it. My dad, he was a tamaku artist as well and then the more contemporary commercial, you know, comic book concept art influence stuff. That was just from purely from what my dad exposed me to like fantasy art and comic books and stuff growing up. And I think for me, just, you know, as every kid, you know, every kid, you know, if you grew up watching movies or you grew up watching cartoons, there were, there was at least one character that you, you wanted to be or you identified with. And for me growing up, some of those characters were the X-Men, you know, some of them were like Dragon Ball Z characters. And, you know, as a young boy, you dream of like, you know, having superpowers and, you know, being being super, you know, all those sorts of things. And for us in Māoridom, we have Atua Māori or Māori gods, gods and spirits. And growing up with all these stories, you know, you're pretty much listening to, comic book stories because they're just as epic and just as amazing so for me naturally and you know not just me like a lot of my mates as well growing up we would depict all of our maori gods looking like these comic book characters and cartoon characters we grew up loving so that's how those sort of realms clashed and uh, for me like i love it like i love that the way that i was raised I was raised in a way that it was okay to explore different things and to to test the limits of certain things and to see what happens when you put these two different elements together. And that's sort of the path that I've I've been on and the path that I'm I'll continue to be on I think.
0: Well, but they're not really that different. I mean, if you go back to like Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces kind of idea, they're literally all the same journey. They're all the same story.
1: Exactly, yeah. And it's like, um, so in Māoridom, we have a lot of the same gods or similar gods to a lot of other cultures around the world. For example, in Egyptian culture, you have Ra, which is like the sun god. And in Māoridom, the sun is literally, his name is Tamanu Te Ra. So Ra is sun, you know, things like that. And there are heaps, like Poseidon in Greek mythology. In Maoridom, his name is Tangaroa, who's pretty much the same dude, god of the ocean, you know. And it's, it's, it's no surprise to me why, you know, why a lot of my mates and I and our, other indigenous people I've seen, you know, sort of merge those different realms together because they're, They're pretty much the same stories, or at least super similar.
0: Okay. I want to get into something a little deeper, a little heavier. So I come from the background of being a white, male, American, privileged, all this kind of crap. Mm. And you're very much, like, in my mind, keep in mind I'm the wise fool here, in my mind, you're like on the opposite side of the world, on a little tiny island, and then you're <laughs> a, a, like a small—you're part of a smaller group of people on that mm. island. And all this, like, how do you feel like your interaction with the world and your sort of opportunities and your, uh, you know, uh, connection to the the greater world coming from such a small yeah, distant yeah. island uh, is different than a lot of other people?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I suppose I've, it's not been really something I've thought about too much because I've 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 like although I've you know I've grown up here in New Zealand and you know, I know that our race, like Māori, the Māori race, is one of the youngest races in the world. This is because it's all I know and I've like I would say I've I've grown up privileged, you know, I've I've grown up knowing you know, my culture, uh, you know, having both parents growing up in a loving environment and really not growing up with any discrimination my, my whole life. So for me, like, yeah, I, I don't know any, anything different everything has been been good. But I do know that there are a lot of people out here, especially Mori people who grew up totally different. You know, a lot of people grew up in super poor didn't have any options, you know. Like, like they do have in other in other places of the same town, like the town that I grew up in, small town. Like, this is sort of moving off topic because I don't really, oh, I don't really know topic, anything different. Well, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, it's it's sort of is the reason that I do what I do because, like, it you know, it's it's sad and disheartening when I see a lot of the my fan, my cousins, or my mates that I grew up with in gangs or. On drugs, you know all of that sort of stuff, when I know how much potential they have, you know like we were we're on the same level as as kids, you know, and I know that the big part of that is just the environment they grew up, I know a lot of them you know grew up in violent homes and all that, and for me, a big part, especially for Māori people disconnect a sense of disconnection to who they are and where they where and who they come from, and I say that because in Māori, did we draw. You I know, mean, a big part of who we are is connection, connecting to not only where we come from, but the people that we descend from as well. Like I've seen it, and I've heard from it, and I've, you know, experienced different people's stories through their disconnection into their connection, and how it's changed their lives. So for me, the reason that I do the art that I do and um, share the stories that I share, it's on purpose. You know, sharing moldy stories. Because my hope is that sharing Moldy stories can inspire moldy people to realize, you know, who they are, you know, to realize the stories that belong to them. And I know for myself personally and a lot of people I know, when I can identify myself in greatness, or you know, I can relate to that greatness, I feel inspired to to want to do something about my Current circumstances. So, if by sharing the things that I share can just affect at least one person, that will make me feel fulfilled. And a bonus of doing this sort of work is enjoying the work that I do as well.
0: Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a total mutt Like, so that so in some (laughs) ways, I very much envy the 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 ability to have a a strong lineage and a strong Mm. faith and a strong you know. uh, I don't even know how to express it because I've never had it, but mm. you know, because like my family comes from all over Europe and random places, so like I don't have that mm. that that consistency, that lineage that uh, that you do. So it's a, it's kind of envious, actually, in some ways. <laughs> but the, one of the reasons why I wanted to know about this is because I was sort of leading on to the idea of the creation of social media at this Mm. time must be like the greatest thing for people such as yourself who are, you know, in distant lands who can't, you can't literally like walk into an art gallery in New York, go into an exhibition in the Louvre or whatever. Like, so that that ability to be connected globally while not having to leave your, your, your home is uh, quite a, great strength for you I would imagine
1: oh 100% and I've said it many times to a lot of my mates one in particular my best mate we've said it heaps about how lucky we are to live in this time with with the internet and with social media 30 years ago we wouldn't be able to have the reach that we you know I wouldn't be talking to someone like you on the other side of the world you know at this time you know doing a podcast yeah I'm super grateful for that and I'd I, definitely understand the power of it, you know, to get that reach. And one of the things I learned, which was an important lesson because it it shifted my paradigm, was for me, I thought quality was the most important thing in terms of your work. And then I learned later on down the track, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter how good you are if no one sees you, no one sees you. And I, I heard later, I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, you could be the best person. If you're living in a cave, no one's going to see it. So it doesn't even matter <laughs> unless you're doing work for yourself. But for me, I'm not creating work just for myself. I want to create work for other people as well. The internet and social media has helped make that a reality, you know, spread your work. And it's, it's free, you know. Social media is free.
0: Well, it's, it's an interesting dynamics because I, I recently read something that said, basically, if you're using a service and you're not paying for it, you're not the customer you're the, <laughs> the guinea pig basically so it's like you know you know instagram and facebook and all those places like they're taking all of your data and they're monetizing it yeah, so yeah you are yeah. doing it for free they're earning money off of your information so yeah you know how much of that's really free in the end i mean yes it is free literally but yeah. you know our freedoms yeah. and our privacy and all that but whatever we're not going to go down that road <laughs> yeah
1: i i I always wanted to jump in there because I yeah, I definitely have a I know a lot of people who who are on that route as well. And end of the day, it's like, oh well, you can get off it if you want. <laughs> you know, you don't have to
0: be there. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a personal choice for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm gonna question your, your point about quality versus quantity mm. kind of an idea. I am a horrible snob, I will fully admit it. Uh, you know, but of course the thing is is I'm a snob. And I'm an, I think I'm a sort of an older generation snob. So like, I'm not very good at social media. Mm. I don't know how to use it well. And maybe I'm using it completely wrong. So like, you seem to be doing it well, substantially better than me. So like, who am I to say like, I'm the right one and you're wrong because you seem (laughs) to be doing it better than me. So like, what are some ideas for the other people who are listening to this podcast about like... How do you approach using social media that seems to work so well for you?
1: For me, like a lot of what I've learned about social media has come from Gary V. A lot of people who have you heard of Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. No, Look him up. Like he's a, how would I describe him? He's I'll describe him as a stick of dynamite. He's just full of energy. (laughs) Just go look him up. But what he says in, what has helped me and what makes sense is he's really big on sharing stuff that you love. And he's, he's really big on the things that you share pertaining to you and what you love. Because if you do that, the people who are there for it are there for what you love to share in the first place. He's really big on like, it it sounds cheesy and people like say this all the time, but you know, being authentic, I think being authentic is, although it sounds easy it's hard. You know, there are times when it's it's easy to be authentic. Sometimes it ain't. And the thing about authenticity is it's, especially when people are doing a. it. My, my, I'll just talk about myself. I know that when I'm being myself, when I'm being authentic, the types of comments or messages that I get are usually messages about relatability. They say, oh, like, that's exactly what I think or that's how I feel about certain things. And it's, for me it's really helped sort of, you know, get me out there. Like, you know, like you found me somehow, I don't, you know, I have no idea how you found me or, you know, when or where, but I'm grateful because it's about who I am and who I put out there. Social media, it's it's one of those things, like it's there to either, like a lot of people, they get distracted by it, you know, you just scroll aimlessly. Yeah. You can use it in a way that can be productive for whatever, like literally, Any business. And I've seen multiple examples of the randomest, most obscure business you could ever think of doing well because of social media and just what they share. You know, there are so many people in this world who use Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. Even if you think you're the only person in the world who's into something, there are other people who are into it as well.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely afraid of putting out the sort of the authentic things Mm. that go through my mind because I'm. Well, I'm will be judged quite literally yeah. for whatever I put out, and i I'm so anxious and nervous about being judged. Don't get me mm. wrong i I grew up. my father's a a priest, a reverend, whatever you want to call it. So of course, I have this innate fear of being judged from mm. from religion and all this kind of stuff, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, i'm and and then and then I lived in the Middle East for a while where I couldn't use social media literally because it was against the rules basically in many ways. And I could have, if I had said the wrong thing, I could have been thrown in prison. Yeah. Wow. So like, I'm very cautious on what I put out and very fearful. And I believe, you know, I think that people need to somehow find a way through that fear and that anxiety Mm. and find a way to be able to find their authentic voice and their tribe because yep. that's one big thing that I feel like social media has the great opportunity to do is assist people in finding their or you know their creative community, their tribe, yeah. their like-minded people that maybe in the small town that you live in or the small country or small island that you live on that there may not be as many people as you might want or desire mm. that can you know help you and help you grow and influence you
1: yeah, 100%. And I think like what you're saying about you know that fear of being judged, you know, everybody has that. And like, you know, in some cases like you were saying, you know, in some countries where you could literally be thrown in jail. You know, that's when it comes down to, you know, being aware of the context that you live in and you know the the environment that you're in. And I think obviously if there's a threat on your freedoms, Don't, unless you're okay with that. If if saying what you need to say is worth being put in jail, then you know, all power to you. But you know, if you're on the other side where it's literally just being judged from other people, which is what everybody gets, that's the difference. You know, that's the difference between being one version of yourself on social media and being the version that you want to be on social media. It's just that fear of that judgment. And the thing is, like anybody who's going to judge you for being you you know, you probably don't need them in your life, or you don't need them in your life as much as they are. Because, you know, a lot of the time the people judging you are the ones closest to you. What I've noticed from just my, you know, all I can speak on is just my own experience with, you know, myself and my own friends. And it's subjective, you know, I've, I've only seen certain parts. So take this with a grain of salt. I've noticed that, If you can do it more often, you know, be authentic to who you are, the people around you, they just eventually get used to it. Like, for example, me, like I'm vegan, been vegan for four years. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Where I come from, anybody who looks like me, like my size, you know, mouldy, eat meat, definitely ain't vegan. You know, usually pretty like macho, like play rugby and all that sort of stuff. Like I hated rugby growing up. I was too soft, too scared of getting hit, you know. Definitely drink not you know when i say that it doesn't mean they drink a lot but they definitely are not alcohol free you know sometimes smoke so for me at the beginning going veganly a lot of my family were like oh what you know thinking it was just a fad or just oh, i know it's just doing a challenge or something like that but eventually they just got used to it now they just know oh, yeah he just doesn't he's just vegan and he's this way and you know that's all good end of the day what matters is who he is and how he is, and if he's happy. You
0: know? Very funny, you you painted a picture that quite literally is the picture of my one friend in New Zealand. He was oh, really? a heavy drinker, we barbecued <laughs> together, he smoked, and he played rugby. So this <laughs> is quite literally the one New Zealand friend I have. Oh, shit, that's hilarious. <laughs> On the other hand, he's an academic and he you know, he's very yeah. well respected as a as a professor yeah, yeah. and all this. But but every other point that you brought up is pretty much exactly <laughs> the stereotype of my friend in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I always wondered if he was stereotypical, and I guess he is.
1: Mm. And I think that's the thing for me growing up, I think it's definitely not. I don't think it's definitely because of my dad. He was a he was a person who sort of he liked to think outside of the box as much as he could. And just my whole life, I've just liked being a bit different. Like I've liked looking the opposite direction of the crowd. And like if you looked at photos of me at high school, like you could tell, like oh yeah, that dude was he was on his own boat, <laughs> you know. And I, I loved it, that. and that's why you know that where i am now like being vegan and all of these things it's it's not strange for me cuz cause, cause i like that being different and i can't like i don't know how to how to put in words how to like share that sort of want to to be okay with being different from other people cuz i think that's a big thing especially with you know some of my friend groups you know you can just tell you you have certain conversations with some of your mates and you can tell that they want to break the mold that they're in. But, you know, everybody gets to a point in their life where they're just like, oh, this is just me. Like, I'm, I'm this way. And, you know, you feel like you can't change. But what I've come to learn over the last few years, definitely through the self-development journey I've been on, is you can literally change overnight if you want to, like in an instant, you know.
0: But... Yeah, it takes courage. Yeah, self-confidence as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with my parents had a, uh, I I don't even know what it was, a little poster in our kitchen that said, uh, it's exhausting trying to act normal every day. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's my baseline is basically being normal is hard work. Yeah. Because I'm not normal for sure under any circumstances. So... That's, it, but I think that goes back to the whole social media being judged, mm. all this kind of. But anyway, yeah. I'm trying not to make this too psychologically uh, thing about me. So, <laughs> let's get to some business stuff. So, you do, you're a tattoo artist, mm. and you do that on a, I assume, on a reasonably regular basis. So, the, the questions that I always wonder with creative people is generally very few of us in the industries can do one thing and that's our all of our income we always have Mm. oftentimes have to have multiple jobs multiple income streams because certain things dry up you know like so Mm. if you do like i know you also sell prints online so like maybe you sell a lot of prints at a certain time of the year and not at another time of the year maybe tattooing is popular a certain time of the year and not so much at another time and so Oftentimes creative people have to do multiple income streams to try and you know hobble together a living. Yeah. So that so that what have you had to do? How have you made it work?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that's the reason I created Creative Curiosity, the podcast, was to interview or to have conversations with creative people who live create you know, have make a living from their creativity. And at the end of each podcast, I get each guest to share three practical steps or three practical tips for the listeners in order to, you know, move towards making a living from their creativity. Because, you know, as you and I know, it's a hard, you know, to make a living from your creativity. And, you know, it's one thing to pay the bills with your creativity, but it's another thing to actually
0: have a life that's, you know, abundant. To be able to buy a house, yeah, buy exactly. A, you know, so it's yeah. not just pay the bills, but it's actually save money and earn money yeah. and grow on top of that. Better.
1: Yeah, exactly. You don't want to have to be wondering where if the next painting's going to sell, or you know if if people are going to buy enough prints, or if people are going to get enough tattoos. But for me, um, I'm lucky where so where we live, there's a few of us who live here. live with my partner's family, so because of that, bills are real cheap. Like super cheap rent. I pretty much just pay for this cabin that I'm in, which is an office and um, like pay for our internet and things out here. Real low compared to when we lived by ourselves in Palmerston North, which is five hours away. So because of that, I haven't had to tattoo as much as I had to, you know, a few years ago. And for me, uh, over the last couple of years, hasn't really been about making money. It's really been about trying to, figure out other streams of income and streams of income that are to do with my creativity <clears throat> so for example like you said like the art prints uh doing the tattooing and you know with the lockdown that we just had here in New Zealand we were in a level four lockdown so we just had to stay home the only place to go to was to the supermarket or to work if you're an essential worker so obviously you can't tattoo during that time what it's done for me is it's it's forced me to be creative about other ways to make money. I was doing some. I've been doing some commission work, some some commission portraits, just digital ones. And the cool thing about digital is you just email it. You don't have to print anything off. You don't have to worry about postage, things like that. During this time as well, I was talking with one of my mates. He's a personal trainer as well as a life coach. Amazing dude, and um, he's he's like one of my brothers now. And I was talking to him about some ideas that I had of different ways to make money with creativity. And I was thinking about like a personal coach or a personal trainer, you know, and physical fitness and that industry you have have personal trainers all the time. It feels like every other day there's another personal trainer saying like, Oh, come and let me train you (laughs) even though they've just studied for two weeks, you know? And I got thinking about that. And with some of the messages that I've been getting from some people about advice on certain areas of their art and i was thinking oh like what about like like a creative coach or like a mentor or some of that sort something like that but truly based off my art and the way that i do my art and not and you know, it's not about you know fundamentals of art in general it's really just about my own practice why i do things a certain way how i achieve certain results And for me, it's been interesting and it's been exciting exploring this path and trying to figure out a way to, because I'm thinking of doing an online course about the way that I approach art. And because, you know, you and I both know that, you know, art, there's no one way to do art, you know, there's a million different ways to do it. And that's what's cool about it, you know, it's not, it's not black and white. It's every shade of gray. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's one of the things I've been exploring and it's, it's
0: exciting yeah people have spoken to me about the idea of like doing like master classes and online classes and all this kind of stuff and it sounds great because it, i mean you know it scratches that creative itch mm. to sort of share your your knowledge and all this but like sometimes on one hand i don't know what i know that's so damn special that somebody's gonna pay me for it like yeah. i mean I don't technically know anything more than pretty much anybody that has the same research education and experience. It's like, why do I have anything to give them? But the bigger problem I have with it. And again, this probably goes back to my own anxieties. I feel like I'm in therapy here, (laughs) but the The bigger problem is, is that I find the idea of doing that is literally like another full-time job. Like, so mm. like if you're going to do that, then you have to start building a whole new connection and network of people that, cause like as a practicing artist, you're building a network of people that are at the same level as you or higher than you to try mm. and sort of Climb the the the, you know, the corporate ladder, but like the the international market ladder. But if you're going to try and get get into doing workshops, then you need to find a whole new connection and series of networks of people that are not at where you are. They're below mm. you, and they want to attain your level. And mm. so, like that's a whole nother job, like full time yeah. job, just to market it, to advertise it, to find the right outlets for it. Like ah, oh, and that. And that's all business stuff. None of that's the creative stuff. So that's not being in the studio. That's not being creative. And that to me, that just pains me because I don't (laughs) want to spend more time not being creative and doing more business stuff. The idea is trying to find more ways to make it so I can have more free time to be able to be creative, not more ways to make more businesses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And for me... That was a big reason for um, talking with my mate about the approach. And it was, so instead of me being like a tutor or a teacher, it was setting up a course, which was recordings. So they can do it themselves in their own time, but every like week or so, like, I'll just do a live where I can answer questions that are specific to what they're up to at that time. And, you know, it's early days now. And, the way that it's been working out and shaping up and other examples that I've seen is there's a way to do it. You know, obviously at the beginning of any project is a lot of the hard work, you know, and a lot of the work that you would rather not be doing. So that's where I'm at at the moment, in the trenches. But it's exciting to me. Like, I think I've I'm not all the way on the just want to do creative stuff all the time. I'm lucky that there's a part of me that, I like business and I like building systems and that's that's not the way I've always been. I've discovered this part of myself just over the past few years that I like to you know create in that way. So for me um yeah trying to figure out a way to build it up to a way where I can have time back at the end of it and you know with their time and with their money that will come in from it you know, be able to do, because let me just tell you what my dream life is, and I'm sure this is probably the dream life of a lot of creative people, is my dream life is to be as excited to go to work as I am to come back home and to have all the resources that I need to create whatever the hell I can think of, you know, and I think that's every artist, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, oh man, if I want that pencil, I want that paint, I want that canvas, so yeah, that's my dream life and the pursuit of it is a part that I've come to love. So I love the process of it.
0: I am always incredibly envious when I like look at some other artists' studios, like on Instagram mm. or Facebook, and I'm just like seeing this like wall of paint. Like yeah. the, I'm like I'm like, that is like five thousand dollars worth of paint. Like, <laughs> I, I can buy a car for the amount of money you spent on that paint alone. It's it's insane. like i'm horribly envious when i see these things and i'm just like how do you how do you choose to like put that much money into something like that with the 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 hope and a prayer that all mm. artists are pretty much living on that we we hope that there'll be some return on this investment we you know we we want it but there's no guarantee of it mm. And yet we invest so much money and so much time into this sort of hope and a prayer with faith. Yeah.
1: I think there has to be a part of you eh, that has to enjoy that leap as well. You know, because like you were saying, it's a leap of faith. And if if you're too fearful of that leap of faith, your life would just be forever stressed. You know, you wouldn't really be living. You know, you'll be living for glimpses of A paycheck (laughs) you know yeah i definitely understand what you mean like for me what i because where i'm at at the moment i love video production and one of my dreams is to be a filmmaker one day and i love looking at production studios and just seeing all the gear that they have and yeah knowing all the possibilities yeah that that's what excites me i'm on that journey myself towards that that place and I've got a lot of things I want to do
0: before I get there, and trying to enjoy every step of the journey. Well, you want to talk about a, a huge investment of money? That's a huge investment of money. The right? hugest. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, a paint paints are nothing in comparison to just the price of a good lens. Oh, like, exactly. They are ridiculously expensive <laughs> for I mean, one. I mean, I, i'm a photographer like i know and i teach video and stuff like i get it but like these days it's an interesting transition because when i was in school and when i was young i owned my own equipment and it was just mandatory you own your own equipment but these days like i sold off all my photo equipment and now i when i get a, a job i rent yeah Because I live in a metropolitan area where there are rental houses that I can get, you know, good quality uh, equipment just on Mm -hmm. a daily basis. And I see no reason with, well, also because in the past, like we worked on film. So like my camera would last me 20 years. So like it, it didn't get outdated or anything like this. Like the equipment was meant to last Whereas yeah. now it continually gets outdated and there's a new technology coming out. And so you have to buy new and buy more and buy better and bigger and all this. Yeah. And I, I got to a point where I don't think it's to anybody's financial benefit to continually purchase all this equipment all the time. You keep
1: upgrading, upgrading. Yeah.
0: It's ridiculous. They keep changing like the mounts even. So now your old lenses aren't useful they Don't anymore. even fit. Yeah, exactly. Can drive, like, they're just they're just grabbing at more money from us that try to oh, of nuts. course,
1: of course, and like it gets to a point where you know there's a threshold, and every dollar above their threshold is a dollar wasted because they can't do something drastically better or not on the hands of normal people anyway, and even then, like people who are masters at their craft can use shitty equipment and make
0: it look great. I well, I'm still the yeah I'm still a believer of a poor musician blames his instrument kind of philosophy yeah. so like yeah. a good artist can make something really amazing with any resources Yeah. Exactly. You know it's
1: it's like throughout history like think about Da Vinci, you know, they made their own
0: pigments and stuff. Degas would paint on cardboard, you know.
1: Yeah, really. Look at that. It, it it's not about the material, you know.
0: No, but I'm a horrible material snob because I'm a photographer. Oh, I think we all are to some degree. Yeah. We we love our good equipment. I mean, for God's sakes, look at the two of us with our beautiful microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and exactly. Like, yeah. on.
1: And these ain't just normal headphones exactly that.
0: Yep. Well, minor reasonably. I did I didn't invest in the headphones. I invested more in the microphone myself. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean that's the thing is like we become we've become horrible snobs about good quality materials as well. Like exactly. But it goes, you know, social media, and you know when people see pictures, they want to be impressed by what I have it. I mean, yeah. it like I was a photographer, and I my students used to always ask me, like, you know, what kind of equipment should I buy and all this kind of stuff? And I and, and arrogantly, which it's still true. I always tell them, I say, buy the most impressive. So like, if you're going to buy a a nice camera, buy it with the red ring around it, you know, the Canon lens, because people will think you're better than you are because they're impressed by the equipment. Like I used to joke, like, if you're going to buy like a big umbrella for your light kind of thing, buy the biggest umbrella on the market because it will (laughs) make people think you're more professional than you are. And a lot of times it's, for lack of a better word, fake it till you make it when it comes to like commercial work like this.
1: Oh, yeah, I've definitely seen that and I've heard from a lot of videographers about certain jobs they go to and they talk about turning up to a job with a DSLR as opposed to like a cinema camera. Every time you turn up and you've got a cinema camera versus this DSLR, they know, oh, this dude, he knows what he's up to. He, he hasn't come to muck around. If he's, if he's got a big camera like that, he knows what he's doing, you know, even, yeah. even though you could be you could have literally you could literally just be somebody who's rich, who has no idea what he's up to. And
0: yeah, there are lots uh, of those is. in the world as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. So I have a question that it's, it's something I'll, I'll give you a little lead on this because I want you to understand it. I grew up in metropolitan areas. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I've lived in big cities most of my life, and I'm sort of getting to a point where I'm realizing that maybe through technology, maybe through just old age, I'm feeling no desire to necessarily live in metropolitan cities. Mm. Now, you don't live in a big city. You did for a while. I think you went to school in a reasonably big city. Mm. And so, like, I wonder how different the life is uh, by choosing to be a creative person and sort of not being in the hub of creativity you know like i lived in london and and san francisco and washington dc and and Dubai, you know and you know so how different is it to not be near all that hustle and bustle and all the 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 rigmarole and the rat race and all that because in many ways i feel like creativity has more opportunity for growth away from a lot of these stresses
1: mm. yeah no that's a good question and so for me so i live like in the country like the closest town to us is 10 minutes and it's, it's a small town and like we we've got like paddocks around us with cows and maize fields and things like that just to paint the picture but where i studied in hamilton which is It's a small city in New Zealand. When I studied there, I had a studio space and I loved that. Like I loved that when I was in my studio space, I could hear cars. I could look out and see streetlights and, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, just really having an area, a space, it felt kind of like, this sounds cheesy, but it felt like a sanctuary away from all that hustle and bustle we were talking about. I think this this comes back to social media and the internet, you know, because of the internet, you know, it's made my small country space feel like, you know, I feel like I have doorways to the world, you know, and I can see what's what other artists are up to, what new sort of breakthroughs there are in video or photography or digital art, you know, things like that. So part of it is, for me anyway, there isn't too much of a difference. But I definitely know that there was a big benefit from just having the studio space that was in the city away from where I lived, because I lived across the bridge, across the river from the city in Hamilton. And when I was at my studio space, because I was away from household chores and things like that, and family, you know, he had no option but to just create. Yeah, so I do miss that part of it.
0: Yeah, there's the old story about a third place. Uh, So (laughs) like, you you have your home, you have your work. Those are your two primary places. Having a third place that is devoid of stresses of work and devoid of stresses of home that is just for whatever, enjoyment, relaxation, creation, whatever it is, that that third place. Uh, I grew up. As that that's the, the goal to find a, yeah. a comfortable, happy third place.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a goal for me too. One that's yeah, away from everything else, where you can just do, you know, really
0: unleash. My hope is someday I want to have a, a place somewhere where I can walk out on the front porch naked and see nobody.
1: Oh, exactly. Where you can play your music as loud as you can and nobody can hear it. Or nobody's going to complain.
0: That's right. Nobody's going to complain. Nobody's going to judge you. No, you, So you can literally do whatever you want and sort of be as free as you want in order to find the right path. Like, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to have like cut loose and, and have the absolute freedom to go down the wrong path in order yeah. to find the right path.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that's, you know, that's, that comes down to, you know, what we know about life, you know? Success comes from failures, you know. Lessons come from failures. <laughs> you can't know the right path without doing the wrong thing.
0: Boy, I should have some great success in the future because I have gone down many, <laughs> many wrong paths.
1: One one wrong path closer to the right one. Oh,
0: you have no idea. But anyways. <laughs> You're still here. <laughs> It is. I still have an opportunity to find a right path because I'm still working. It's funny. I, was, I actually just had a, a recording with an old friend who literally I went to grad school with and I hadn't seen awesome. or spoken to in 20 years. Whoa. And it was interesting how few of us that graduated together are still even making work at all. Yeah, uh, I mean, we graduated. I think there were a hundred of us that graduated, approximately at the time, and we could only come up with five names of of people still producing.
1: Man, that's crazy, and that's that's what I tell a lot of people that I know too. Because when I so from my first intake from my first year of study, man, I literally think only like two of us, maybe living as creatives. The rest of them are doing stuff that has nothing to do with creativity. A lot of them are like move into teaching. I don't know what it
0: is. A lot of people just move to teaching. Well, it teaching is for security. Basically. It gives mm. you a standard income. It generally gives you like healthcare, maybe a retirement and you generally get summers off. So it gives yeah. you a baseline income that's stable. And then you can be sort of, I'll tell you what it is. I have this belief that basically creative people, we need a certain amount of structure in order to allow for a certain amount of randomness. Mm, Yeah. Teaching, it gives you a certain amount of standard income, certain timeline of like expectations and stuff like this in order to allow for the time and the freedom to be creative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I agree with it because we can't, be creative if we're worrying about bills you know things like that or as creative as we could be what makes me sad about that is because i know a lot of artists myself is they forget about their creativity and they stop altogether that's that's sad because they're you know you hear it all the time you know don't waste your gifts all of those sort of things but i know how happy it makes them so that that's what makes me sad like i'm not sad for me i'm sad for them you know that they're missing out on something they love doing
0: it is a difficult balance i mean but the entire work life balancing act is a an ongoing um struggle that we all have to Mm. deal with you know how you know sometimes in your life you need or want to work more to earn more money to do whatever and sometimes you simply want to have the time and space to be more creative and worry less about money i mean we all have it, you know. Marriages, home life, kids—all these things that can uh, throw off our work-life balance to make things a little bit more difficult. But part of the journey is to try and figure out how to continually re-evolve and reconsider the the balance in your own life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, this has
1: just got me thinking. Again, this is just, you know, my own personal views and, you know, from my own experience. got me thinking about, like, the journey that I've been on over the past few years. This year in particular, because in particular, I've put a big emphasis on balance. So for me, I'm a person when, when I work, usually when I work, that's all I want to do. Like, I go to sleep late. Um, I'm usually not as present as I should be. No, I definitely am not as present as I should be as a partner. I usually just want to just stay out of my cabin and just create and, you know, work and do things like that. But this year is the first time I've actually focused on bringing balance. And what I mean by that, like, that sounds like another cheesy idea as well. What it's I mean by that is, you, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, understanding all the different roles I play in my life, if I can say it that way. So, I'm a partner. I'm a son. Like I'm a grandson. I'm a I'm a friend. You know, I've got a bunch of mates who I who I love, who are who are my brothers. You know, I I've got siblings and things like that. For me, like when I'm in each of those spaces, usually I would always be thinking about work. Or because when I'm not productive, I feel like I'm wasting time. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I've learned to try and rel- relinquish some of that control, and to just, you know, there's times when it's work, and there's times when it's, you know, you just, you gotta hang out with your mates. Every time since, like I've been hanging out with mates and family and things like that, I actually come away, you know, really charged and, you know, realizing that the whole purpose in doing all of these things that I do in my life you know, creating, um, you know, wanting to inspire moldy people, things like that, is so I can have more time to do the things that I can already do right now, you know, which is hang out with my mates, hang out with my family and things like that. I think what I'm trying to say is for everybody listening out there, I'm trying to say that this is like, keep in mind I'm 28, like I haven't lived a long life, so you can listen to me if you want or you can just say, shut up, he doesn't know what he's up to. <laughs> you know, what I'm trying to say is, You know, whatever quality of life you have right now, you have the ability to change at least some of that. You know what I mean? Like we all have spare time in the day. Where we're scrolling, where we're watching TV, things like that. Like in that time, like spend time on working on yourself or, you know, developing in certain areas and eventually you can quit that job if you hate it and you know, make more money doing something that you'd rather be doing. I don't say this because I just heard somebody else say it. I say it because I've been practicing this in my own life. And um, like I say, I'm only early on in the journey, but it's, it's been working out for me and I'm excited for where I, you know, will go from here.
0: As valid as anybody else's perspective, it's fine. So let's talk a little bit more about your practice. Like you Mm -hmm. mentioned that you do commissions Mm -hmm. and you also sell prints. So I'm interested in how does that work? Because like, I've tried to do, like, online sales through, like, Saatchi and, of course, through my own website and all this kind of stuff. And, like, I've never found them to be very helpful for me. Now, of course, my subject matter and all this might be a t- bit too niche to be able to sort of have the broad appeal that some people have on online for that kind of stuff. But do you find that like the online sales are and commissions and all these kinds of things are beneficial for you? Do they work for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially the commission ones. I didn't think it would go as well as they have gone. I've ended up having to make a cutoff cause they, they're too many and a lot of them are taking longer than I expected them to take. So I've got a, probably a couple of months worth at least of commissions to do.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Tell me about how this happens though. So like, so did you, cause like I looked at your website and I don't remember seeing anything mentioned. Yeah. About commissions. So like, how did commissions even come into your career?
1: So it was on, I did it on, I shared it on my social media. So on Instagram and Facebook, and that's where the power of like social media and the internet come in handy It's cause it gets your message out there or your request out there. I had been thinking about it for a little bit, even before our lockdown here, but because of the lockdown and, you know, I couldn't tattoo anymore to make money. I couldn't sell prints because we, we can't, we couldn't send anything from the post shops and things like that. The only things that were allowed to be shipped and be sent through couriers and things like that were essential items. So medicine, food or health, things like that, or things to do with growing your own food. You couldn't just send like art, because it's not essential obviously so because of that,
0: that i will debate that <laughs> i art essential but it's fine
1: because of that you know you really had two decisions you could make you could either sit there and twiddle your thumbs and moan or you could come up with a you know creative solutions and for me it was doing portrait commissions just digital ones like i say as soon as i shared them or like i shared the post i said oh i'm taking on digital commissions and I shared examples of the types of portraits that I was going to do because I know a lot of people you know you give them an inch and they take a mile you know they say oh can you do this can do that can do this can do that can you change this you know all of that and I didn't want to make it something that was way harder than it should have been so to save all of that I just gave three examples of the type of portraits I would create yeah got a lot of messages and emails of people who were keen and And I I didn't think it would be received that way because it was lockdown and a lot of people lost their jobs. And I didn't think people would, you know, would be worrying about buying artwork at this time, you know. And I really put it out there for the people who haven't been affected by this time financially. And man, there are a lot of people I didn't expect and people I know whose jobs have been affected by this. But that goes to show to me how essential... (laughs) Art is to them. And that that's amazing, I think that's awesome.
0: Okay. So how is it doing commissions? Cause I have to, you know, I'll give my own personal experience on this. I hate doing commissions with a passion, but I'm not a, a, a graphic artist. I'm not a commercial artist in any way, shape, or form. And so like, I hate working for another client where they tell me what to do and all and like I, what I love. I, I love to do com- what well, we'll call it commissions, I'm putting air quotes on this where somebody says, I like what you do, just do it for me. And they have no input whatsoever and they get whatever they get. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to do that. But when it starts being where you're talking back and forth with the client, very much sort of more on the lines of like commercial arts where you're, you're, you're having to please their desires and their intentions with the thing. How is that for you? oh i'm
1: glad you brought this up because that is the reason i didn't do commissions i haven't done commissions in years because of that because i did commissions before i did like design work and i hated it i hated it because nine times out of ten probably ten times out of ten the people that come to you who want you to create something for them have no idea what the hell they're on about and they want to put 20 ideas into something that's that big
0: and they have very bad taste. They oh, have, tell their, me about their, it. Their color ideas are horrible. Like,
1: and they they send you examples of stuff that they like, and it's stuff that you hate. <laughs> oh, and it's
0: some stuff that has nothing to do with you. So, like, they hire exactly. you to basically make something that they can't afford to pay somebody who does the thing to do. Yeah, and I hate that. Like, it, oh. I,
1: I'm on the same but And that's why I made sure that when I did offer this commission service, I was very specific. If you read the post, I'm very specific about how I promote the service. And that's why I shared those exact styles. And I said, portraits like these, nothing different. You don't tell me how you want your portrait done. You come to me to get what I create. And if you don't want it that's all good like I don't need to create this for you like I don't I don't need your money I'll happily take money from somebody else who wants what I create and that's been a big that's why the decision to do these commissions was hard because i part of two parts was i didn't want to go back there and you know have to hate it all over again and the other part is um i didn't want to sort of open these floodgates of people thinking, um, oh, he's he's, he, he's keen to do logos and stuff now. And I've got a lot of messages from people wanting logos and stuff. And I hate doing logos. I'll, I'll do it as a – the only time I'll do logos is as a favor to people that I know. And, like, even then, I would rather not be doing it. But I know because of, you know, because of what they mean to me, I'll, you know, I'll do it for them because I know, like, the equivalent in their life, they would do the same for me but like I would never like I, I don't even care how much money you know unless it's something stupid you know life changing money I would do it but if not like no nah, I would rather not and that was one thing I learned and I remember it was it was like a light bulb when I learned the difference between an artist and an illustrator it was like you know an illustrator they work to a brief and to criteria for a client and an artist you create work that you want to create
0: my my graphic design friends used to say it's basically a, a commercial artist is a person whose client is somebody else, and yep. a fine artist or a, an artist is a, somebody who the client is yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. It's funny you brought that up because it's something I'm going to bring up in a podcast of my own where I'll just talk about the reason I haven't done commissions for a long time, and another part I hate about it is. How entitled some people come across, you know what I mean? They a lot of people come just because they've got some money, they think you owe them something, you know. And I hate people like that. I hate people with that sort of attitude. And I I could I I happily refuse their money and their offer, you know. And like the big part of it is just because they're a dickhead, you know what I mean? <laughs> the way they're coming across and thinking we're just a print house. We're not a print house, you know, we're people. We don't just do exactly what you want, how you want it.
0: Well, Ned, okay, just to be fair, there are people that do that. I mean, generally, you know, the, the commercial arts and things like this. Yeah. There are people oh, yeah. who will That's me. Do
1: that. I'm talking, of, yeah, from yeah.
0: mine. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, we're talking more from the fine arts and that, yeah. uh, you know, personal work kind of thing than yeah. commercial artists. But there are people who do it, and they do it beautifully. Like one of my best uh, friends. I'll take my hat off to them. Oh, God, I, the, the hell they must go through. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> it. Like Patience, yeah. man. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to turn it on you, actually. So uh, let's do your three tips that you do in your podcast. What are your three tips?
1: Part one is to, this is going to be different because it's just what I've learned, but it's to work on yourself. That's step one. And working on yourself means doing some sort of exercise like it could literally just be walking you know something like that it doesn't have to be like you know going to the gym or anything like that but i've found for myself physical exercise has really helped with my mind mindset so working on yourself and that's that's in all areas so your mind your body things like that um part 2 is use the internet and social media to your advantage you know it's, it's there to use so use it and that's this of course is if you want to possibly gain the benefits from those platforms if if not if you're okay with just you know word of mouth and you know distributing your work like that then don't but that's that's my second tip is use internet and social media and share your your work your content and step three would be practice it's probably the biggest one is to literally just practice your craft whatever it is and Not to, like, if I can add more to that, not to just practice the way that you've been doing something and just stay there, you know, don't stay stagnant. You know, always be looking to to learn more about your craft or to grow or to develop in, you know, certain areas of your craft. Because if you do that, your work becomes more valuable. And if your work becomes more valuable you can make more money and not that this is about money, but we all know that we need money to pay bills and to live. If you can make your work more valuable, get more money and have a better life. Yeah. So that my three tips. First one was work on yourself. Step two was use the internet and social media to your advantage. And step three was to practice, practice and develop. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much <laughs> for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. That was an awesome. Conversation. <laughs> Hope you enjoy the rest of your day.